Hello and welcome to the Future is Bilingual podcast. Today I'm bringing you an interview with Lira, who is a multilingual mom, a linguist, and also an investment banker. She has a wealth of knowledge about raising bilingual and multilingual children, so I know you'll come away with a lot of good points from this interview. If you've been listening to these interviews before, you know that I ask my guests to teach us a word or a phrase at the end of every episode, and I really love the phrases that Lira chose to teach us in her native Russian and her husband's native Dutch, so make sure you stay tuned to the end to hear those. Now, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome, Lara, to the Future is Bilingual podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest. Hi there. I, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. So let's start by, you can give us a little introduction of who you are and maybe who is in your family. Sure, sounds good. So my name is Lara Dinerstein, and I am Russian by origin. I have lived in the Netherlands for the last eight years of my life and then around different places before that. I'm married to a Dutch man who is race trilingual with German, Dutch, and English, uh, where his family is Dutch, and then his environment languages were English and German. Mm -hmm. um, and I was raised with, with English as well and was exposed to a couple of other languages along the way. And we have a one and a half. Oh, yeah, that's, that's an important point to mention. Mm -hmm. We have a one and a half year old son uh, whose name is Liv, and we have a little, a little girl on the way. Yay, it's so wonderful. Tell us a little bit more just about how you learned uh, your, your, your languages, you know, when you learned them. Sure. So as I said, I was exposed to English as the first foreign language uh, very early on, um, not from birth, but from maybe the age of five, six, mm -hmm. um, there was English there. Um, I am a linguist by trade, by my first education. So I'm offici officially um, a teacher of uh, foreign languages of German, Russian, and English. And I think, let me, let me see chronologically, I'm Jewish by origin. So Hebrew was um, the other language I was exposed to. German, Korean, because I worked for a Korean company, Polish for personal, personal mm -hmm. reasons. And then the last one that kind of closed it all off was Dutch when I moved, moved to the Netherlands. So the interesting part is we, you know, we learn as linguists, we learn that there's windows, windows of opportunity, right? So there, there are certain ages where your neuroplasticity is very, um, very active and you're, mm -hmm. you're in consuming languages like a sponge, you know, you use that sponge metaphor. Yep. Um, but I've always thought, you know, I've always thought I'm so great at languages, just going to go forever. And then I was 23 relearning Dutch and it was just it was not a walk in the park right so all this the new words came difficult to me the grammar constructions were hard and mm. so compared to how I learned Hebrew when I was 14 mm -hmm. to how I learned Dutch when I was 23 huge difference difference there and I had to really put a lot of effort and Dutch is now the third language the third best language I speak just to, to exposure mm -hmm. um to it but it was definitely not not yeah, an easy language to learn just due to the, the age of exposure, I think. That's so interesting because you said you knew a little German. And I always thought the for me, Polish was so hard because it was so different. I had only done romance languages, a little bit of Korean like you, but that was the first Slavic language. So I always just thought, you know, not that I'm getting older, but that it's such a different language family. But you're kind of saying it's 
you also saw a difference with age, even knowing another Germanic or two other Germanic languages, English and German, you still found Dutch to just be harder than Hebrew, which is completely different from all your languages. To remember, I think to remember and to memorize okay. things. I think grammar wise, you're totally right. There, there's a lot of similarity, especially if you're, you know, you've got like linguistic background, you've got mm -hmm. language background. So you can really make some of these, um, some of these connections that a learner that otherwise doesn't, wouldn't be making them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of vocab indeed has similarities. A lot of vocab is also your false friend, if you will. Yeah, so you've got, sure. you've got a word that sounds exactly the same. You're like, oh, I totally, I got this. I know what this means. And then it means <laughs> something completely, completely different. Yeah. Um, we did a whole episode on cognates and false friends, but we focused mostly on false friends. So if people haven't listened to that one, uh, my co-host Martin and I did a funny episode about those. <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely are out there. Definitely are. Oh, out yeah. There. Sometimes, sometimes I think with, uh, yeah, my, the funniest ones obviously I've got with Polish. And I sometimes think, well, how did that, like, how did that, I would love to know the history, mm -hmm. how that permeated the language. And instead of becoming, you know, the, the ones that we use the most with Polish and, and Russian, the word forget um, oh, yeah. in Russian is remember mm -hmm. Polish. Exactly. And you're just thinking, like, what, the, who came, whoever came up with it? Like, how know, did that? So it's almost like they were trying they were already having the war and like trying to confuse each other. yeah <laughs> let's not let's not be friends let's not be language friends either yeah there's actually um, a lot of good videos i've seen about russian and polish false friends that's a very common topic people like to talk about and i don't speak russian but um you know there are a lot of similarities so sometimes you can hear words and be like oh i understand that but then you're like oh look at all these words that are going to throw me off <laughs> they're actually not great yeah we we and i i use the same metaphor and my husband has to laugh at me every time I do it, but the similar, like the, I loved learning Polish mm -hmm. for that exact reason that, you know, it was a little bit like meeting an old friend, mm -hmm. right? So every time I learn a new word, I'm like, oh, oh yeah, well, that makes sense. But it doesn't make, you know, it's not because I'm so, so well-versed in Polish. <laughs> it's just because it's an old Russian word or mm -hmm. it's a similar construction to Russian. And you're right. So Dutch is, is very far away from the languages I learned other than German. Right. And it helped a lot with grammar. So say that, you know, the skeleton was there and I got, mm -hmm. I think I got to that very relatively quickly, but to get to that, you know, to the fluency mm -hmm. in it, and that's where I wanted to go, right? So I stayed in the country. I wanted to yeah. be able, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a public speaker, right? I, I, I need to be able to present in the language. Um, mm -hmm. And I wanted to have a relationship with my partner in, in Dutch as well and have yeah. Dutch girlfriends right and so things things like that so I, I wanted all these different facets of Dutch and it just did not come yeah very I think that it's, it speaks a lot to what your goals are as well so like I had some of those goals with Polish but not I didn't have to present in Polish I didn't have to you know there wasn't as much pressure it was like okay and the small steps that you can make with your partner, like they're usually appreciated. So it's not like you have to have like a C2 level to get appreciation from exactly. your partner by speaking their language. So I think, you know, even just the, what we want to do with a language is so important for how we're going to go about learning it. So like you said, you know, you needed to know so much vocab in order to do your job and speak the language well. Whereas for me, I, if I speak to our friends and I say a couple sentences, they're all like, wow, your Polish is amazing. That's and you impressive. Know, I'm just having a, a regular conversation that, you know, like an A2 level or B1 level, you know, it doesn't have to be so high. Um, speaking of goals, what are your goals for your children? Did you and your husband talk about, you know, do you want them to just speak? 
all these languages? Do you want them to be able to write all these languages? Do you have a language plan or policy for your family? Sure, sure. And uh, we do, we do have a language plan and we have a language policy. And of course you're a linguist. Documents. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my husband, it, 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 it was very, very interesting um, because that's exactly what, that was my husband's reaction when I got pregnant. He's like, well, now you can come up with a language plan. And I said, well, mm-hmm. no, now we can come up <laughs> with a can't. language plan. It's, it's a common, you know, it's a common document. And surprisingly, it's not just about how we speak to our children. It's also about how we're going to speak to each other. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Um, so when I met my husband, and I think that's important to say, I didn't speak any Dutch. Right? So we've been together for seven years, and I've only mm-hmm. spoken Dutch for maybe four of it. Very sort of fluent enough to um, be able to take over English. And we did it very, very organically. So, you know, for me, it was, um, he was my, my safe haven, right? So mm-hmm. I, would, I would speak Dutch all day and then come home and just go, oh, take off my work clothes, put on my PJs and just speak English because it was yeah. so easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you talked about point, in one of your talks, like it was like such like so much work, like your head hurt. And I totally have felt that like the first time I was immersed in French, I had a headache. And it was like, it's a lot of work to try and be immersed in language and constantly coming up with things to say and understand and people talking. So I totally and be alert, right? To yeah. be to be the whole time to be on, right? Um, and I just wanted to kind of wind down and have a glass of wine and and not be on, right? Um, and only only maybe like three three four years ago we really started switching, and that switch was also speaking of bilingualism, how languages permeate each other, we did quite a lot of code switching Mm -hmm. um, in our, not in the way that we interacted. And then it, and now I think Dutch is maybe 80% of what we speak to each other in English is 20%. Very much dependent, you know, if we watch a movie Mm -hmm. in English, then we'll probably discuss it in English as well. Right. And um, part of our language plan uh, was the way that we would speak to each other, that we would be a little bit more careful about that um, code switching and code switching is, is introducing two linguistic patterns in, in one sentence, be that right. on grammar or syntax or vocabulary patterns, um, because we, we really don't want left to, to sort of embrace that as a norm, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's fine mm-hmm. to have it as a, um, as a tool that, and, and, you know, it does happen. Bilingual right. children can, can code switch. To me, it's always been sort of like a kaleidoscope. Okay. Now I'm speaking Russian. Now I'm speaking English. Now I'm speaking Dutch. And in terms of our policies, it's interesting that you asked, right? Because when, when I was pregnant with Lev, you know, there was no corona, there was no, um, no COVID uh, raining the world, and Russia is two and a half hour flight from mm-hmm. the Netherlands. Um, there's a great Russian school here for, for children where children can go from one year old in my, in my town. Wow. You know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of, and I mean, it's, a, it's the world of opportunities that... I thought that I had available at the tips of my fingers, mm. uh, which have proven to not be the case. So now our language plan is really to focus on Russian. And so originally we had Russian, English, and Dutch in there introduced simultaneously. And mm-hmm. um, now we're focusing on Russian as a minority language because there is an overabundance of, of Dutch right, uh, in his life. So my husband speaks Dutch only. I speak Russian only. And our idea is to associate it's not 100% one language one uh, parent one language mm-hmm. but it's as much as possible mama is mama is Russian 
um, and I speak Russian in, in all different under all diff different circumstances. So be right. that outside, be that with other people. Mm -hmm. um, that is important that you say that though, because I know so many parents don't want to be rude and they worry about speaking their native language or their you know their minority language in front of others. And I think there's definitely a time and place to do that. Um, yeah. I know I myself would often speak Polish to the kids around others because I wasn't addressing anyone else except my kids. Like only they needed to know that, you know, for example, their pants were falling down. I just told them quickly, quietly, your pants are falling down, you know, pull your pants up. You know, I don't yeah. have to announce that to the entire room of people that we were with, right? So yeah. Another point that I wanted to make is something that we do see a lot where, where families, especially with languages, and this is, this is a very intricate subject. Um, but you know how they're in Europe, they're popular languages and a little bit less popular languages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, French and German and um, Spanish, you know, mm -hmm. Spanish, Italian, those are, those are relatively pop. And again, this is, I'm saying it, but I don't necessarily agree with that, mm -hmm. um, are, are more popular language. And then you've got Polish and Russian um, and Turkish, and those are a little bit less popular languages. Yep. Um, and you also have some history of, of the parents, you know, where that, that would have immigrated to the country to, um, you know, to, to assimilate and to fit mm -hmm. in and yep. to, and speaking the language is a big part of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's also the reason that once they kind of get out of the house, for example, or once they're in a public space, it's a very natural way for them to not speak the majority language, well, the minority language, but right. to, to resort to Dutch, which is the majority language for um, and sometimes with my with my you know clients, we would work through that and see you know what 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 are the reasons behind that choice, mm -hmm. um, and and there could be other reasons, right? And that's perfectly fine, and that's your journey, and that's how you apply it. Um, but we also talk through you know what are the positives of being consistent mm -hmm. from the point of the source of the language. So that's right. you, me right. as a mom, um, and different situations and how much right. richer that interaction becomes okay. you know and I'm I might be a little bit the the other side of the spectrum because I like I like sing songs in Russian to, to mm -hmm. my child in a grocery store you know not everyone has to do that obviously but right. um it's there is just knowing knowing where what your motivation is driven by and also knowing what the positives of of kind of sticking with it especially the first seven years yeah, and especially are. if you're the only source of that language, which a lot of parents are, um, you know, if you're going to cut your exposure in half by not speaking it when you're out of the house, then you're, you're losing so much time. But I think we're also touching on a point that there could be so many other factors, like there could be, I don't know, I'm just thinking of, there's a lot of racism. So we have a huge privilege being, you know, we're white, and we, we go out and we speak these bigger known languages. Um, you know, hearing Polish people don't, I've never been like attacked or thought like no one's ever asked me like, why are you speaking Polish the way they would if it was Arabic? Um, if mm -hmm. I looked, you know, if I had darker skin and I was speaking, you know, if I was wearing a hijab, I think there's a lot of privilege that we have going out and speaking these languages that people just want to know. They say, oh, what language is that? Oh, I thought it was Russian. You know, I say Polish and they say, oh, yeah, I thought it sounded like Russian. Um, whereas I get if Polish I was, all the time. So. Yeah. But where if I was speaking, let's say, you know, an Indian language, or if I was speaking Arabic, people would maybe like look at me and tell me to speak English. I think there's just a lot of privilege that we have. And I, I have to, you know, I have to recognize that because, you know, maybe these immigrants coming, you know, from Turkey to Germany, maybe they don't feel comfortable 
you know, they don't want to put themselves out where someone might attack them for, you know, being different um, when they're already, you know, maybe sure. looking different, dressing different, you know, language is something they can, you know, play with and control. So I think that's just, it's a huge, huge topic. And um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there because every situation is different and, you know, you have to do what feels comfortable for you in the moment. Um, but we also want to put the emphasis that the more you can expose your kids to the language, of course, the better they're going to speak it, the better they're going to understand it, the more words they're going to know, like you talked about, just the sheer amount of vocabulary and how it's different. So a lot of immigrant kids, they only speak a language at home and then they only know the home vocabulary. You know, they can talk about changing bed sheets and cooking and pans, and but then they don't know how to say anything about school or anything about their workplace in that language. So I think it is, it's a really interesting point. And I think we have so much work as a society to do to be more accepting that people are allowed to speak their home language. You know, like we should, I, obviously you and I, we're not gonna judge someone for speaking Arabic, but so many people unfortunately do and are, and it's such a big problem. We have a huge, huge problem with racism right now in the United States and it's never ending uh, racism, unfortunately. And it's just, it's a huge topic. So it's just, it's on my mind right now. And I think, you know, someone right. in that case right. that, you know, they don't want to speak Chinese because people are always yelling at them, like speak English. And that's a very common thing, unfortunately, that happens, at least in the U.S. And I think it, it, it does, it doesn't, and you're fully right, you know, being white. Um, and I have these conversations with my international friends all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we've got, I've got loads of friends that are Asian by origin, but are Dutch by birth. Mm -hmm. um, and born born here, um, where they experience a very different way of integration and assimilation um, than I do. Yeah, um, just they by, probably by, get asked where they're from, you know. Right, right. Uh, by by being, and I've got friends, for example, that um, are Russian of say Tajik origin or Uzbek mm -hmm. origin, etc. And then when you know we have a conversation with somebody else, we'd be like, yeah, we we come from Russia. Um, and then they get questions like, no, but where do you originally wow. come from? Yeah. You just spoke from, from Russia. <laughs> People are so ignorant to like, even just the diversity that's in Russia. I feel like, yeah, we just picture the one, you know, the white person from Moscow and that's all we picture. And it's just, yeah, we definitely need to work more on broadening people's horizons and perspectives and knowledge of different cultures. It's an interesting subject that, that you're raising because I keep thinking, you know, the more sort of like, where is the... Where is the tipping point, right? The more we do it, the more, the more it becomes the new normal, right? Okay. If you look at mm -hmm. the world and the, the number of bilingual people in the world, right. um, depending how you define it, you know, there are more bilingual people in the world than monolingual. Um, mm -hmm. And still that there are parts and bits of the world where that's not considered to be the norm quite yet. And that is something that worries me about I guess worries is not the right word. Something that keep that I keep in my mind about mm -hmm. Liv, my son, and my my daughter um, in the future is they are Dutch, right? They're 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 half Dutch. Their dad is Dutch. They're going to grow mm -hmm. up in the Netherlands. That's mm -hmm. going to be their cultural main cultural reference, and I want them to feel at home in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. But I also want them to feel unique um, in the way that they're trilingual and mm -hmm. they have this this um, great you know, great something about them. Um, and it's a very thin line to walk where you right. expose them to only Dutch speaking kids or Dutch speaking friends, 
and you know there's there comes a point when they're 10 and 12 and it's not really cool what mama thinks it's cool what what their friends oh, think. yeah yeah um, we're far from that luckily but yeah that's right that's right. kind of the whole premise like why did I start the podcast because I know I know once my kids enter school and the dominant language takes over that it's going to be so hard to maintain our minority home language and I just wanted to hear from other parents like how do you how do you maintain a home language when you have this huge community language and like you said, friends and all the influence and that they don't want to do what mom and dad want them to do. So there's just that that struggle that, you know, all parents and kids go through where they're trying to be independent. So if mom says, you know, speak this language, they're going to do the opposite. So I know I saw you um, you have a talk on your Instagram and you have lots of good information on there. So I will be putting the link to that in the show notes. Um, but I saw you gave a talk and you talked about how your kids are always going to speak better Dutch than you. Can you just comment on that? Because I also feel that way about my kids and their Polish. How does that make you feel? <laughs> sure. Um, interesting. Um, it makes me feel interesting. I do, I do want them to speak, and this is speaking of, of goals, right? Well, what are the goals that you're mm -hmm. setting? My husband, so my husband, very realistically, in quotation marks, his goal for Russian for our kids is that when they're 18, um, and if they feel like going to a Russian university in Russian and following a program, a bachelor, master program, they can do that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to. He's got high goals. <laughs> right. I would. I don't want to ruin his little bubble and say that is a pretty challenging. Yeah, that's like the uh, top of the top. <laughs> exactly. Um, and but but that's that's what he's kind of aiming for mm -hmm. in terms of Russian. And I am excited to at least try and provide that um, that level of diversity of, mm -hmm. I, I want to give them the tools, right? So yeah. how they're going to use them is you know, up to them as with right. a lot of different subjects with children, right? Yeah. So how they're, what's going to happen when the inflection points come and the inflection points I'm referring to are the ones when they go to school right. or when they you know, become teenagers or when they um, get exposed to say, you know, things, things that are not always pretty mm -hmm. about multi multiculturalism. Mm -hmm. um, and so things, things like that. But I do want to give them the tools for Russian that, um, that can at least give a diverse way of using the language. Now, when it comes to Dutch, it's obviously um, you know, magnified by hundreds. They're going to have so much exposure. Right. This is going to be their language. I fully acknowledge and acquiesce to the fact that uh, they're, they're gonna have you know, hundreds of, of different touch points throughout the day where they're going to use Dutch. Mm -hmm. My Dutch, now my Dutch is strong. It's, you know, I can, I can make myself uh, clear and say whatever I want to say, but it's not as, as, as we discussed, I was 23 when I was exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And I am so weak. So on one hand, I'm very excited because I just keep thinking, you know, they're going to, they're always going to speak better better yeah. Dutch than me that's that's just so fascinating right this are my it's children crazy. these little one-year-olds um, yeah <laughs> right right so he's he's not like he doesn't know now what what language he's using mm -hmm. but then one day he will yeah um and so that makes me very very excited on the other hand it makes me think oh gosh I'm actually never gonna get to that level um in their language um mm -hmm. so that's always going to be that part of them that's theirs that's not, mm -hmm. that's my partner's and not, not mine. Um, but they, on the other hand, you know, they are the embodiment of diversity in yeah. that respect. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what I, you know, we were just talking about, about the, some of the issues you mentioned in the US. I think that's what, that is what we need, right? So exactly. we need a change in the society 
Right. And our kids are going to be that change. Exactly. And that just like, that gives me hope. Yeah. We definitely need not only people that are bilingual, because like you said, we've had more than half the world population being bilingual. We need people that are bilingual, proud to be bilingual, and then go out and, you know, fight against this idea of like monolingualism is normal and nobody needs another language. And I think it's, you know, similar to racism. Like there's so much talk um, right now about racism in the U.S. You know, I feel like people thought it was just okay to to not say anything. Like, well, I, I don't say anything racist, so that must be fine. But like, no, you have to actually be actively anti-racist. You have to speak up when someone says something. Same with misogyny, you know? So many men think like, well, I, I never committed a, I haven't know, done anything. a horrible yeah. act. You know, I didn't rape anybody. But like, yeah, but if your friend gave you warning signs and you did nothing, then you are guilty. Like, we need to be more active. And those are very heavy topics. You know, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, that's just on my heart and my mind. But I think it's the same with multilingualism. I think we need to be actively promoting it. We need to be actively saying, this is a beautiful thing. You know, like these little kids that speak these two languages, it's not just like a circus act, like, you know, the YouTube videos of four-year-old speaks 10 languages. You know, that's, that's great. That's cool. But like, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be, you know, we speak these languages, but we also, we're part of these cultures. You know, our parents come from different parts of the world, maybe it needs to be more of an embrace of diversity. And I know, I, I see that we're working towards that. You know, I can see it. The children's literature that's coming out now is amazing. Um, I think we just need to, to keep working at it. You know, we just need more people on our on our front kind of battling, <laughs> battling all the, the unfortunate. And what you're, what you're kind of touching upon, and, and we when we create pol language policies and language plans for some families, we, um, we discuss that as well. You know, mm -hmm. you have bilingual um, children and, and multilingual children. And of course, that's a big part of the culture. But then you also have bicultural yeah. and multicultural children. Totally. And those can, um, can but don't have to be intertwined, right? So you, you can have multicultural people, humans, yep. that, are, that maybe don't speak the language yep. or are passing bilinguals, which is mm -hmm. still a bilingual, right? Somebody exactly. can... Um, understand and, and um, process the language, but not reproduce it actively. Um, and that's also okay, right? So we- exactly. Yeah, I we, think we you're do. so right. We need to promote all the whole spectrum, that it's not only the people who speak two languages fluently could translate on, you know, the drop of a hat. It's not, that's not our goal. It doesn't have to be our goal, you know, as long as they are anywhere on that spectrum from passive to fluent, you know, doing university classes like your husband wants, I think there's such a range of abilities and it depends. We don't know, like you and I, we have these little kids. We don't know where our children are going to go. We don't know where they're, you know, where they're going to decide to study, what friends they're going to make. You know, who knows if in middle school, they make a friend who's Japanese and want to learn Japanese. Who knows, right? We have no idea. And that's kind of the beauty of it is we want to keep integrating things as we need them. And I think, you know, your story is kind of like that. You said you, you picked up different languages because of your job, because of, you know, personal interests. And I think that's kind of the beauty is that there's so much out there and we don't know what's gonna come across their path. And, you know, you talk about how right now they have so many, you know, touch points in, in Dutch. That's just the reality of their life. Um, I'm actually kind of curious if you're worried about maintaining, you know, maintaining the Russian when there's so much Dutch um, or what about English? Is, is English part of your plan? Just because that is a language that both you and your husband speak 
And I know so many people, I don't necessarily agree with this, but so many people will say that language, you know, English is so important. I've had people question why I'm teaching my kids Polish when English is more important in mm -hmm. quotes. Um, so, you know, where does English fit in? How are you maintaining Russian? I guess those are my two questions. English is important. I, I would agree with the fact that, you know, it, it is an international language. It's a language that, that makes it easier to communicate with other cultures. Mm -hmm. For if you lack, you know, if you don't, you obviously can't speak 50 different languages. I don't think it's necessarily more important than, than another language if you, if you look at um, mm -hmm. bilingual or trilingual um, children. And you really need to think, so it's, it, you know, we, I refer to the 25 to 30% rule. Um, right, so you you would want to, and this is not a you know it's it's a very quick and dirty rule. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it has to be exactly that, but you do need to, especially in the first seven, and I refer to that time frame for for a reason. The first seven years of their of your child's life, you know, the making sure that exposure to that minority language is a massive twenty five to thirty percent mm -hmm. is important to give them the right tools to be able to actively use the language. Because if they don't, the other language can, what you're saying, the other language can prevail. And it's all, only very natural, right? So that the yeah. Dutch, if especially I'm never going to sort of not show to my children that I don't speak Dutch because I do and I use it actively every day. I just won't yeah. use it to them, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously you speak English and it's very difficult for you to hide <laughs> you speak English yeah. um, or your partner right. speaks English. Um, so we, we are very conscious, especially with COVID and especially with this sort of, mindful of the fact that that my uh, family is not around and I, mm. I am the only source of Russian, I try to make an effort. And that's why English has kind of gone to the back burner mm -hmm. for now. Um, and that's a choice. That's how we recalibrated our language plan maybe about six months ago. I'm still 100% behind that choice. Yeah. Um, so our initial idea was particular times, mm -hmm. um, right? And, and connecting times to a language. And now it's just Russian. Um, from from my perspective, mm -hmm. I it was not easy, and this is an interesting one because I don't really use Russian very much in my mm -hmm. life at the moment, right? So it's not a it's forever going to be my native language, if you will, yeah. but it's not a language that's on top of my mind, and I don't really work with children in Russian, or I haven't, right? So I had to really yeah. brush up on my baby language um, sure. and what to say and how to say it so that it also doesn't sound weird right yeah. so that, and this is so important because you're a native russian speaker you speak it fluently and i feel like some people encounter those challenges where they're like i don't know every word um you know and then they're thinking like well maybe i should just speak this language that's become my dominant language um and that's you know it's such a fallacy because none of us know every word you know even in our native tongues like i don't necessarily know all the names for all the different trucks you know, I'm not oh, using those birds. every day. What's up with birds? birds? Yeah, are you guys bird watching like we are? <laughs> we are. No, we've got loads of books about birds, and oh, so do? I, I, I do quite a bit of just. I kind of take a Dutch book and then I read it, read it in quotation marks in Russian. Yeah. Um, and then there's all this, all this names, and I ask my husband. He's like, I don't know that bird. Oh yeah. Who knows all these bird names? Right. Even yeah, in your so native. There's language. so much specific vocabulary that I, you know, I don't want parents to feel discouraged if they come up against you know a roadblock where they're like oh you know i have to learn this vocab well yeah you know like that's that's just part of parenting like like you're saying we're not going to know all these 
specific types of birds, whatever the, the dinosaurs, God, I don't know any of the dinosaurs. My son never got into it. And I still don't know any of them besides like T-Rex. <laughs> like, you know, there's so much specific vocabulary that that's just part of parenting. I think you just kind of have to go with what your, your child's interest is and learn with them. That's okay. You know, you don't have to know everything. I think there's this fallacy that we have to be perfect, be a hundred percent, be a dictionary, be able to pull words out of nowhere and just that you don't have to, <laughs> you know, you can, no. you can look things up. That's okay. You're human. That's right. And I, I have to also say that, you know, I, I get sometimes comments like, well, you're so good at keeping to Russian hundred percent, except for I don't. Right. So if it's, um, we've, we've had a, a, a really rough night, um, night streak with Lev last mm. week that he just did not sleep, you know, sort of from three to 4 a.m. just wouldn't sleep. And from three to 4 a.m., your brain doesn't work very well, no. right? So I, I just remember sort of shushing him and, and talking to him in Dutch mm-hmm. all of a sudden um, because that was just the language that came up in my mind. And I was just saying, mm-hmm. you know, rustig, rustig, and, slaap, and then, then I was like, okay, wait, wait a second. That's not what I'm yep. supposed to be saying, but it's also it's totally, totally okay, right? Because yep. yep. it needs to be fun. We, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about how important it is for our children and important for our culture and blah, blah, blah. but also, you know, I'm, I'm a first time mom and mm-hmm. I'm sleep deprived most of the time. And there's yeah. just a thousand other things. And I think we should cut each other some slack. For sure. Time. Cut yourself some slack. Yeah. You have to give ourselves some forgiveness and grace because we're not going to be perfect all the time. You know, we're not going to, even if you're the only person if you don't speak Russian 100% of the time, it's okay. <laughs> like you said, if we're getting that 30%, even that could be enough, you know, like it doesn't have to be. We have to give ourselves this, this a break, you know, like you don't have to be perfect all the time to raise a bilingual kid. You can totally speak other languages. You can totally, you know, mess up and have a day where you don't speak the language at all. And your, your kid can still be raised bilingually nothing no one does anything perfectly let's just get over that (laughs) fallacy that we're seeing people on instagram looking so perfect you know people see you posting videos speaking russian for a few minutes and they think you're doing a hundred percent russian right right like why are we assuming moment of my life yeah so how do you integrate russian are you calling your parents are you doing what like what resources especially being the only person it's that's so much pressure on you to speak like we're just saying speak all the time um, you're having people telling you you know you should speak all the time so what else can you bring in like what resources have you found that have been sure. useful and my husband jokes about it as well because he says you know he's got the really easy side of the deal because all he needs to do is just speak dutch um right. and he's to, supported by the whole community so exactly and for me it's a little bit more tricky and i really have to make an effort first first point is exactly what you're saying so i speak quite a bit uh to live but then again, also not. And there's, there's, that's also a very interesting conversation to be had. You know, we don't need to over narrate our mm. life, right? We don't have to, when you're tired or when you're just, you know, you know, sometimes I don't feel like talking yeah. too much and, and then, and then I don't mm-hmm. um, just to, because, you know, I have to get to that 25 to 30% right. um, per day. And I think, well, you know, he'll be okay on this particular, on this particular Wednesday and I'll, I'll catch up on, on a Saturday. Exactly. Um, um, I have a couple of different resources. One of them I've actually created myself because I couldn't find one that would work. Um, and it's a planner. You know, you cannot be disciplined 100% of the time for anything, right? For, for, for your sports, for your nutrition, for your own habits. 
Um, and so in my planner, I've got um, different triggers that trigger a particular habit, right? So mm -hmm. we, I try to incorporate it in say, the reading bit after dinner. Mm -hmm. That's our trigger. We put the dishes away together and then we have our 15 minutes off um, of reading yes. and we don't have it every day, right? So uh, um, and sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And then I reward myself for, um, and him sometimes, my son, mm -hmm. mostly myself for, uh, for doing it. Um, or for example, in a bath, um, when we, it's just the two of us and we take a bath together, we would mm -hmm. incorporate uh, Russian vocab that we would, that I know, for example, they're studying at daycare. Right? So mm -hmm. in daycare, they have a week of uh, body parts. So we'll mm -hmm. talk about body parts. Um, resources are incredibly important. Um, and I know a lot of my clients often ask me, uh, you know, what should I do? Like, what app should I get? Or what course of online courses have become super big yeah. um, due to COVID? I have always been a little bit skeptical about um, online courses for like two, three-year-olds. Yeah. So I kept thinking, you know, how long can you can actually keep them? It, it, there, there are some impressive um, results that I have mm -hmm. seen. I have turned my opinion a little bit, yeah. um, but my son is still not into, right? He, he would watch TV for like 30 seconds, but he's oh, more yeah. watching. He's more watching me watch yep. the cartoon than mm -hmm. watching the cartoon. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a little bit what I try to apply to myself and also to, to my clients. You know, you are the main character of that story. Totally. You can have a great... Um, and we use that as well. We use, for example, magazines. So it's very, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's uh, common in, in Europe, but there's a couple of really great magazines for children of different ages Yeah, we have um, that are being published in, in languages. So you've got like little activities and you've got little themes, uh, but what you do is you use it as a resource mm -hmm. to actively do something with your child, right? You can't, it's, there's no magic pill. I think right. is that what I'm trying to say, <laughs> yeah. um, that you just give to your child and say, you know, watch this for, for 30 minutes. Um, <laughs> there's some research out there that says, you know, 15 minutes of active language use is more useful than 60 minutes of passive oh, wow. um, language use. Mm -hmm. um, and passive, I'm referring to, say, you know, watching, watching cartoons <laughs> or listening to, um, to mute, you know, it's all, it all counts, right? So I, um, in terms of resources for myself, Mm -hmm. My best resource has been, and it's really silly, but to put some like 90s, 2000s Russian music on, mm -hmm. and it's, it's pretty trash. Like my husband comes into the room and he goes like, what, what, what are you listening to? But it puts me in the Russian mood. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. And then we can, you know, we can do some cooking together or whatever we're doing before dinner or for, for my mom. And then we speak Russian That's um, together. And so then written resources, books, I found a couple of really good um, places to get books in Russian, um, but also he mirrors my emotions, mm -hmm. right? So learning, a lot, I, I strongly believe that you don't learn, you don't just learn the language, you learn the emotion that's associated with it as well. Yeah. So if I'm in a really good mood, right, every time I speak Russian to him, again, every time's big most of the time when I see yeah. Russian, then he associates that with the positive. If grandma calls, so we do a lot um, every every day, we do FaceTime. My parents actually, oh, wow. my, my mom lives in Russia, but my parents-in-law who are Dutch, they live in Japan. Uh -huh. um, and so we also FaceTime them every day. So mornings, because of the time difference, yep. mornings are for my parents-in-law. Mm -hmm. And then afternoon before dinner are for, for my mom. And then we speak Russian That's um, together. And so then written resources, books, I found a couple of really good um, places to get books in Russian, um, but also 
I guess, games. We haven't really introduced any cartoons quite yet. Yeah. Um, we watched like very calm cartoons, you know, that has something to do with like how many images per second, but yeah, yeah, uh, things like that. But then I, I would narrate it. So it's, I'm the biggest resource, I guess sure. is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's tiring, right? So I take my hat off to, to all the bilingual parents um, that sometimes really doubt themselves what you're saying. I, I really like what you're saying about, you know, not being perfect, that really doubt themselves sometimes and saying, you know, my, my kid doesn't, especially that part where children sometimes stop speaking mm -hmm. the minority language back. Um, it's a very tricky time to kind of persevere and be like, okay, I'm yes. doing everything right. This is what's happening because of the exposure. Exactly. And I just, I just go ahead with what I'm doing and until think, it'll yeah. come back. Yeah, I think it's such a normal part that kids want to be like their peers. I think it's, I feel like it's just a, a natural part of them growing into their own person. And it's, but it's so hard. It's so hard as a parent when you've been working for, like you said, so hard for like seven, eight years. And now your kid is refusing to speak your language. That's also a personal blow on like who you are, your culture. What you've um, chose. Yeah. I just think Actually, that's, I, that's why I want to make this podcast is to like, you know, this is so normal. I want to, you know, tell people that this is normal. I, I know it's probably coming for us as well. So I want to hear from people who've been through these struggles and persevered. So especially the parents that have, you know, grown kids, teenagers that are now speaking the language again, because I do, I just think it is going to be a natural part. I feel like most kids will go through a phase where they're going to push away because that's what kids do. They want to be their own person. They want to be different from mom and dad. Make their own choices. Of course. Exactly. Of course. Um, I have a client whose child about age of four or five, um, starting in, in the Netherlands, you start school at the age of four, um, would come home and if spoken Russian to, would sort of lie on the ground, cry and say, mommy, why, why don't you love me enough? Oh, wow. um, because you love everybody else enough to speak Dutch to them, but you don't love me enough to speak Russian. Um, and it had, it, and, and, and because and that's why you speak Russian, you know, mm -hmm. you, you don't love me enough to, to speak. And that's, I, I mean, that breaks your heart, right? Yeah. That's just something that, that you, you switch to Dutch in a, in an instant, I would mm -hmm. say. Um, what it had to do in the end of the day is that he just did not have enough Russian vocab mm -hmm. to be responsive and to, you know, to right. have a, a fully fledged conversation. And to feel and confident. And to feel know? confident exactly. in it. Uh, and to have a relationship with his mom in it, because you know we are still there, till I hope for a very very long time. But yes. I don't know how long, but we are still their favorite, favorite speaking partners, right? They want to be comfortable um, with us. And in the end of the night, when it, like on a positive note, it, it, he does speak Russian oh, <laughs> to her now. He's a couple, it's a couple of years, um, maybe yeah, two years later now. Um, but it was not, you know, it's it's tough. And bilingualism is not always smooth sailing. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's, um, especially if you have one parent, one language, and you have a very, you know, got, and you've got a different language outside of the, the, the home doors, very often it's very um, balanced. You know, we talk about this, this unicorn. Yes. It doesn't always exist, or doesn't usually exist, um, of, of balanced bilinguals. Mm -hmm. um, but for example, my husband, you know, he's, he was raised and that's a slightly different story, right? So his parents were both Dutch. Mm -hmm. so they always spoke Dutch at home. And then he grew up in Germany till the age of eight and then in the UK afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, and then they came back to the Netherlands. Um, and so his German is still great. Um, it just kind of got stuck in terms of vocabulary at the age of six, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's, his, that's his vocab. 
Um, but he takes an effort, a conscious effort in maintaining the language. So he goes for a run and he listens to a German podcast. He reads a book in German. Mm-hmm. And his parents, you know, he says he's 31, right? His parents don't ask him to do so. And they right. don't encourage him anymore. But you can, as a parent, you can only hope that that's what your children are going to do when they're right. 31. We've planted seeds and they hopefully, that's right. hopefully, you know, and as the kid wants, like we were talking about earlier, we don't know if they're going to want to use all these languages, you know, even if it's just the two languages, we can't know that we can't force it because obviously forcing is going to do the opposite of what we want. Like you were saying, it needs to be a positive association. It needs to be this loving relationship. We need to support them if they, like that little kid, feel like they don't have enough vocab. You know, what is the, what's the root of the problem? You know, sometimes we're just trying to, we're looking at the, the behavior and saying, oh, well, he's refusing to speak Russian. Okay, but there's probably a deeper reason. You know, what is the deeper reason why he's refusing? Get to that root of the problem. Give him the support he needs. Give him more exposure, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, even if this kid, you know, right now is speaking Dutch and Russian, we can't guarantee that, you know, later on that each kid is going to live their own life and decide what they're going to do. But I think for us as parents, we just, we want to give them the opportunity, especially if it's home languages, you know, it's mom's, mom's language, dad's language. I just think it's such a shame when kids grow up and they say, you know, oh, my parents are Polish, but we never spoke it at home or, you know, whatever the language is. Um, And most of the time, I think every time I've ever heard about, they regret it oh, I regret that my mom never spoke to me in this language. I regret that my dad never taught me his language. I've never heard anyone say, oh, I'm so glad they didn't teach me that language. Because you know what? <laughs> They're going to learn English if we're speaking in for the United States. You know, these right. immigrants from Italy, if they taught their kid Italian, the kid's going to learn English somewhere else. So I think that's the whole point is there's, there's all these spheres. And if we don't take the opportunity we have, it is just going to become dominant, that one language. So, you know, if you at least give your, if you at least try, I think one of my other guests, I'm trying to think who said it, maybe Amy, at least try, then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but you know, you did your best. Whereas if you don't even try, you as a parent might regret it. Oh, I probably should have, you know, spoken more Russian when he was little. Oh, I wish I had put him in Russian school, whatever the, you know, whatever the regret is. So I think we just have to keep trying, doing our best. And obviously we can't control anything. Exactly. But as we know with parent, you know, parenthood, you can't control it. You can't control your children. You can't force them. So you got to just keep it positive. The, f- the funny thing is, and um, again, my, my husband is, is a unique character <laughs> who I love very dearly, uh, but he's super into chess, right? He's, chess is, has been his hobby for, for a couple of years and he started very late with it. Oh. And I had chess classes when I was like four to six wow. and I still win. You know, what's 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 not all the time. Let's you know, I'll give him some credit. He mm-hmm. he he he's getting much better from practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just exposed to it very very, and I don't remember it. Right? I don't remember the actual combinations and why I'm doing things. But I'm just not like I I can see the patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's so eager to get our son into oh. chess from like the age of I don't know yesterday. Um, <laughs> and and we had we had a couple of conversations where where I was like, well, you you know, it's, it's maybe he's not going to like it. Yeah. Mm. We'll definitely, we'll definitely expose him to it and we'll show him how positive we are about it and how, and I'm not comparing playing chess with the blend, you know, there's so many layers of depth and, 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 and no, but it's there. a good, it's a good analogy. 
But if they don't like it, they don't like it. And the yeah. same with football. My husband's crazy oh about football. You know, he's, yeah. you know, left's going to try football. I still remember as a girl growing up in, in Russia, I've always wanted to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that, you know, girls don't play basketball in Russia, but it was just never um, an obvious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I did ballet and I hated it. And I, I was going to say, did you do ballet? Dance. I did do ballet <laughs> and I did some ballroom dancing. Totally hated it. I have absolutely no, um, what's it called? Like rhythm in, mm-hmm. in my body. Um, but I never played basketball. And then in the end, you know, I was 16 and I tried some street ball and I really, really enjoyed it. And that was enough. Um, mm. But, it, you know, I, I do think we are 30 years later. We can definitely kind of attune to our children more yes. and yes. give them the opportunity. And then it's really up to them. That's a good point. So many parents just want to force their kid to do what they didn't succeed in doing. <laughs> when they were little. It's so common. Or something that they never got to do. Exactly. That's another one. That's, oh, yeah. That's um, me with the bilingualism. Raise monolingual. <laughs> so I have to raise my kids bilingual. So it's funny because you say you were you, you were raised monolingual, you know, till the, the certain age, but you've had so much exposure to uh, different languages yeah. grow, you know, growing up to, to, to where you are today. Right. And I think that will also be a positive reinforcement and a positive example to your children. Right. right? Yeah. And so I had exposure like, to cultures. My dad's from South Africa. And so my grandma and aunt would come every two years and they would just, you know, different accent. They would bring us weird things, just that whole exposure to other cultures, which I think a lot of, you know, not all kids have that growing up. Um, and like we talked about, I was exposed to Hebrew early on. So just seeing that script, you know, then I wanted to learn hieroglyphics, like all kids, you know, you get into <laughs> those little niche things. But um, yeah, I think the exposure is so important because you don't know where your kid is going to take that. Like my parents, they never thought I would be a fluent French speaker. My dad was totally shocked when we went to get a visa for me to move to France. And I just went up to the counter and spoke French to this lady. And he's like, who's this person? You're not my daughter. I've never heard you speak French (laughs) in my life. And you just never know. I think that's just so excited. Like, I can't wait to see what my little two kids become. So is there anything, speaking of, you know, future, what are you, what are you hoping for your kids language-wise, I guess? Yeah, there's a lot of things I'm hoping, hoping for, for them. Um, one of the parts that I do hope they take away, so if I'll, I'd be okay with them if they never actually speak Russian actively. That's something that they're, they're just never, you know, get into it, and that's, I'd, I'd find it a shame, I guess, especially mm-hmm. to interact with my family. My my mom doesn't speak any languages but Russian. Mm-hmm. So I definitely do my very best. And I hope that they, they would get interested in Russian. What I do also hope for with even a much more burning heart, I guess, is that they learn to appreciate what Russia stands for and what Russia is. So the Russian culture and the Russian, you know, I want to take them on, on the Trans-Siberian mm. train. And so does my husband, by the way. I think he does more than I do um, to take that, you know, that trip and show them the diversity and the yeah. beauty and the vigor and the, like, Russia is such a wonderful place and such, it's got such wonderful people um, and such a rich, unbelievably rich culture that you do get access to if you speak the language, right? Exactly. So it, it is a tool um, rather than the destination, I guess, for me. So it's important to me that they, like, they, they know the holidays. So I'm, I'm raised 
Jewish, I'd probably want to incorporate that a little bit as well. So it wouldn't just be Orthodox holidays in that in that sense. Uh, but I'd want to have that culture um, as a big part of their lives um, and show them. And again, what's real Russia? I don't know, but yeah. but show them as real as I can get to it. Yeah. Um, show well, them Russia and show. Visiting Russia, that would be the real Russia, right? Whatever you see when you get there, that's that's real. That's reality. Yeah. And I've got some some such wonderful friends and family in Russia that um, I still do uh, keep very close contact with. So I'd I'd want them to have that that link, but also I guess just like languages generally. You know, I want I want them to. Um, I always compare it with opening a door to someone else's house and coming in and being very respectful there, and that's how you learn a language. Mm-hmm. That's how I experienced Korean because there are just so many people that I knew that couldn't speak very good English, and then I I learned Korean alongside them, and then all of a sudden we could have a conversation, and I thought, wowzers, I can I these are all these people I can speak to, yeah, um, and I hope for my children that that's how they're going to experience life. That's how they're going to experience different cultures. That's so great. And I think being someone who learns another language, you, you understand what it's like to be in that person's shoes, right? So we've all been in that place where you're speaking a language you don't speak fluently. And it's so hard. You have all these thoughts and you can't get them out because you don't know the words. You're not sure of the grammar. And it's so frustrating to be in that position. So having been in that position as of someone who learns languages, you have so much more sympathy and empathy for the person, you know, the immigrant that's having a hard time speaking to you. And, you know, it just, it gives you a whole different perspective. It's not like, oh, well, why can't you just, you know, say what you're, what you're trying to say? You know, you understand why they're having a struggle saying what they're trying to say. So I think it's just, um, and I also love the part you talked about, you know, just the culture. It's not about language. It's about culture. It's about tradition. It's about family that's over there and friends, you know, visiting the place is such a such a good motivation. And I think if you, you know, once borders open up and you take your kids, you know, that's gonna be such a huge influence just to keep the language alive. And you know, if your mom only speaks Russian, that's also huge, I think a huge motivation. Agreed. So love is still small. Little girl is not here yet, but do you have any proud bilingual uh trilingual parenting moments that you'd like to share? Yeah an interesting question so he's 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 developing his first of all I find it fascinating that he understands so much in both languages mm-hmm. um and he understands the same I don't want to say commands because that makes it sound weird but like the same no, things that yeah. we say to um to him in say when we say you know bring this or bring that or let's do this or yeah. like go brush our teeth and he understands he it in it. both languages mm-hmm. um and these days so does my husband just because he hears it a nice. lot um um and that's my idea as well that's why I want to kind of you know put English to the back for now and just just you know he'll start understanding okay. Russian um and, and and get into it and I think one of my problems so there's I guess there's three little things so one is that I'm so impressed by how much he understands uh in Dutch and in Russian mm-hmm. um in that little tiny head of his how much there's happening every day and it's very I think exciting. we underestimate how much babies are able to understand and know because when they're little, they can't, you know, show that they understand, but they're amazing. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, especially as a linguist. I know you and I talked about writing every word down that our little ones said, because it is, yeah. it's just so, it's amazing. You know, they're communicating and they're saying these words and then you've got the two lists, you know, which language, it's, it's so fun. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's another one. So he doesn't say a massive number of words yet, but it's interesting how he chooses the word that's easier to pronounce mm -hmm. to actively use it. But oh, yeah. he still understands the, the, the other one, right? So if we go say, um, if he we talk about he's obsessed with cars and moving vehicles and he goes, um, and, and a car in, in Dutch is auto mm. and in Russian is machina. Uh, and then machina is just more, you know, there's a sh, there's that, that, that more um, syllables. sound that's just more syllables, it's more difficult. But he, you know, he, he would walk down the street and he goes, auto, auto. And I was like, oh, look at that machina. And yeah. then he turns around and he's like, yeah, auto. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you totally, like, you totally made that connection already. Yeah. Um, and he's that's funny. Happy. In Polish, you can say auto, but the, the other word is samochód, but we always use the word auto because it was easier for the kids. Right. I mean, samochód, go, 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 go and say it when you're yeah. still struggling with your vowels, you know? But, you know, don't even worry because like I told you, um, our, our kids, my son especially was in English daycare. He was with my mom who's English speaking and his first words were ball, book. And I was like, he'll never speak Polish. How is he ever going to say książka, piłka? These are such hard words. And these kids... 100% they're speaking Polish to each other all the time even when I'm trying to speak to them in French and English they just turn to each other and speak Polish so have no fear he'll it. pick up Mashina with no problem and another thing I think I'm going to mention that because it's a proud moment it has nothing to do with Lev mm -hmm. um, but it has everything to do with sort of my, my choices and how I feel about them um, I myself also thought like, okay, what do we do I want to speak English uh, don't, don't want to speak Russian outside mm -hmm. um, the house, especially when I'm with like American friends, right? It's yeah. so easy to just kind of continue in English and sometimes I do slip um, back and forth. Um, but the other day I was having a conversation with my Dutch mama friend and mm -hmm. um, we were talking about exactly this, like, does it does it bother you that I speak Russian to live all the time? Mm -hmm. um, like, does it, you know, do you feel left out in any way? You know, just, just to kind of check, yeah. check what I'm doing and, you know, does it, what effect what effect exactly. does it have on other people and she kind of looked at me and she's like well if you were talking to an adult person I would have preferred you to use a common language mm -hmm. but because I you know I've been following you on Instagram and I've, I, I know your story and I know what you're doing and why you're doing this I find it so beautiful and it's in my head I almost find it weird that you speak Dutch to my child because you know Lara speaks Russian to children that's what that's what she does yeah, and it's yeah, totally yeah. normal to me. And I don't, you know, I, I feel very, very good about it. And I was like, yes. Wonderful. Um, and then the last thing I like to ask my guests is to teach us uh, a word or a phrase in their language or languages. Something that my friends also ask me, it's like, oh, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. um, is something that I, I say quite often um, to him is, you know, when he falls, for example, um, we, we practice, you know, he, He's, he's, he's becoming more and more independent and more and more a little, a little person. He stands, uh -huh, up, and he I see stands up and he's totally, yeah, he's like, oh, I got this. Uh, but when he's not, and he still kind of turns around and like runs to me. And I say, I say two things. So I say, mama tut, um, mama staboy. The mama tut uh, means mama is here. Mama tutai. Exactly. Mama staboy is mama, mama is with you. Uh -huh, um, okay, stable. Yeah, it's so similar. Right. Um, and he's very, very responsive to this, this two phrases. And it's, mm. uh, when it's in the middle of the night, um, you know, he's, he's crying and he's, oh, yeah. he goes, mama, 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 go, yeah, mama, tuts. mama's the boy, mama, tuts. mama's the boy. And how about a Dutch phrase? 
Yeah, well, there's there's so much. There's Dutch is a beautiful language in the sense mm-hmm. that it um they love to put together words and mm-hmm. like put you know so, so some of sometimes I just go oh what does that word mean? But it's actually three different words just jammed together and then oh, you, you kind of get to um get to different different meaning or a different concept. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that they do very often um, together is that so Dennis and, and Lev, they're more active, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm the parent that like reads books and, yeah. um, and does that, that, that kind of the craft, right? My husband doesn't do craft. Yeah. Um, they do more sports activities. So um, I'll teach you a phrase that, um, that, that, that he says very often to my son, let's play together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the funny part is that we talked about it in the, in the beginning is that Dutch is a very specific word order mm-hmm. that kind of give away straight away if you're innate, like if you're if you really understand the language or if you're translating kind of word for word and then they say let's us together play mm. um and that's lot of a shaman spelen lot of a shaman spelen um and and that's very often what my husband says, says to him because you know he's he's not he's trying to incorporate himself and that's Mm-hmm. I'm teaching him to do so himself into into um, his game. And he says, "Yeah, let the shaman spela. I'll be. I also be a part of it. Let the shaman do." Um, so that's. I'm. I'm gonna go with that phrase. That's great. I love those two phrases because it kind of also shows like the personalities that your husband's more the rowdy. I can hear my husband actually riling my kids up downstairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. Uh, and then I'm the one who does. You Somebody know, got. Yeah. Somebody's got to be the roughhouser. But um, and then you're the one that's the comfort. Like it's okay mommy's here so that's that's really great well thank you so much it was such a pleasure to speak with you and we talked about things I didn't even know were going to come up which is wonderful which is why I love doing these kind of interviews yeah it was was a lot of fun to be to be here today with you thanks for having me well thank you that concludes my interview with Lira and I hope you guys enjoyed it and learned as much as I did I completely blanked and forgot to ask her where we can find her on the internet. So you can find Lira on Instagram in two places. The first is growing up in between and there are underscores between growing and up and up and in between and I will link it into the show notes. You can also find her working on her new project Future Lingual and that's also on Instagram, one word, and they offer that site in English, Spanish and Russian. She's working with a friend on that. And she told me that there might be a website launching in May. So the best thing to do would be to follow Lira on her accounts. And that way you will know about everything right when it's happening. So thank you guys so much. I wish you a lovely week and we'll be back with more interviews soon. Take care.